We're in the year of 2023, uh, given the fact today that globalization is not something new today. Again, when we look at the word globalization, it's not just about the change related to politics. And also, more importantly, everyone is asking the question, what about this economic deadlock at this moment? Given the fact that today, post the pandemic, and everyone is so anxious regarding this economic agenda, but meanwhile, if we follow the geopolitical change, one thing that we have to understand is economy is important. But however, diplomacy is even more important at this moment. Well, when we talk about diplomacy, one country that comes into our mind, which is Turkey. Again, given the fact today, the relationship between U.S. and Turkey today surely is standing at the crossroads. How should we understand the domestic policy in Turkey today? And also, what about this relationship between Erdogan and Biden at this moment? So that's why in the, today's episode, we need to talk about this relationship. Is it still diplomatic or can it be something beyond this personal tie? Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, which is Professor Henry Barkey. Again, Professor Barkey, it's Holland Professor of International Relations, and also he's an adjunct senior fellow for Middle East Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. Well, Professor Barkey, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, Professor, again, initially when I discover you, because this amazing article that you wrote, which is entitled Erdogan, the Survivor, Washington Needs a New Approach to Turkey's Improviser-in-Chief. Now, I want to get started with the first question. As something that you wrote in the article, of course, it's also obvious that the nation today, again, Turkey, Looking at, we're looking at so many domestic problems such as soaring inflation and refugee influx. And also we're looking at this effect after the recent devastating earthquake. But meanwhile, let's ask the question, is Erdogan actually liberalizing the Turkish economy and its politics? So in other words, how credible and how trustworthy is the person today? Your thoughts? Well, for the last uh, number of years, Erdogan has been following a very bizarre uh, economic policy, which in many ways explains why the rate of inflation is very high. We actually don't even know what the rate of inflation is. I mean, there are different numbers being bandied about. There's an official number, which is even that official number is going up. But when you talk to economists or you look at... um, uh, what people are saying is that the number that the government provides is actually much lower than the real number. Mm. So, um, so Erdogan is not liberalizing anything. Erdogan has, first of all, until maybe a month ago, and I'll talk about this in more detail, b- dictated what interest rates should be. He has this uh, bizarre idea that interest rates causes inflation rather than you use infla- uh, you use interest rates to fight inflation. So he thinks that if you lower in- interest rates, inflation will go down. But the evidence is basically the opposite, right? He has kept interest rates very low and inflation has continued to to go up. Now, inflation goes up for a whole variety of reasons. I mean, the war in Ukraine, the increase in oil prices, um, 
But at the same time, he doesn't understand that by keeping interest rates also very low, you're making the Turkish lira um, low. But it, it, the, the bizarre thing about Turkey is that it is a an economy that's fairly well integrated into the global economy, which means that uh, if Turkey were to, let's say, produce these glasses, mm. many parts to make this glass, these glasses, may be coming from the from abroad, which means that the lens, let's say, let's say the lens now will cost a lot more to import. Mm. And even though the Turkish lira is low and gives you an advantage to export, it that really doesn't factor in. Anyway, so you have a you have an economy that's fairly well integrated, but given his shall we say rather bizarre economic ideas, he has done very poorly. And he has in part he was also running for the election this year, so he wanted to maintain that. Once he he won the election he now appointed a new economic czar who in the past had proven to be um, very effective uh, and a new central bank uh, chair. Supposedly, they both are independent. But in Turkey, as I mentioned earlier, the central bank is controlled by Erdogan. The new person is trying to show some independence, but, I've, but so far... In the two months that she's been on board, it seems like she wants to do certain things with the econ economy minister, but Erdogan is restricting restricting them. So that's where that's where we are. But generally speaking, right, you have a, an economy which is interestingly a fairly dynamic economy. I mean, mm. Turkey is lucky to be on the edge of Europe. Mm. It has a customs agreement with the European Union. It has benefited a great deal from that. So Turkey exports uh, a great deal of stuff to 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 Europe and the United States. In fact, both Europe and the United States are the number uh, the most important um, export destinations. Um, but the, the 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 problem is that. When you look at the rest of the economy, he has decided to invest enormous amount of resources in infrastructure, which in of itself is not a bad thing. Turkey mm. needs infrastructure. But a lot of these infrastructure projects are huge, but economically, un, should we say, unproductive. Mm. You can build a mar marvelous bridge across, let's say, the, um, the Dardanelles, but then if nobody uses it and you borrowed money for it, you have to pay the money, for, you, you, you have to pay the interest on, on that money. So he has built a great deal of infrastructure and unfortunately he has concentrated all of these infrastructure projects in five companies that are close to him. Mm. Right? So it's not necessarily clear that they were the most efficient ones. He also, and this is the last thing I'm going to say on this topic now, he has also promised a certain return on these investments, mm. which means 
right? Let's say that the bridge over the Dardanelles. Let's say it assumes um, a, a return on a million cars crossing the bridge, mm. right? But suppose only 20,000 cars cross the bridge in a year. The Turkish state now is forced to pay the companies the difference mm. between 20,000 and a million, mm. right? Because it, offered, it provided a, gu- a guaranteed income. So th- the Turkish budget is under enormous amount of stress. That's what I, w- I want to say. Mm. Professor, again, as we mentioned before, when we look at this relationship between U.S. and Turkey, particularly during the previous campaign season for Erdogan, again, this is something that you also covered in the article. I found this fascinating that you wrote that during the election campaign season, Erdogan mentioned, and I quote, teach a lesson to the U.S., I mean, again, this is, on one hand, I guess we could say this is a election or camping rhetoric. But in reality, that it doesn't seem to be that way. So in other words, he's very smart. He knows how to attract the voters. He understands how to use his charm to, to persuade the citizens. Professor, from your perspective, how much do you think that today U.S., needs to understand this, what we called Erdogan taught a lesson to the U.S. such rhetoric. And the second question is, how would you assess the relationship between U.S. and Turkey at this moment? Again, this is something you mentioned. Do you think that Washington actually needs a new approach, not just to deal with Turkey? Let's deal with Erdogan first. Your thoughts? But look, uh, just before we went uh, online, I was uh, looking at the Turkish press mm. and I noticed that uh, Erdogan gave a speech yesterday where he claims that well, Turkey's economic problems are not are the result of manipulation, mm. right? And that um, it is, um, he says, um, when he uses those words, he always means the West, mm. that the West is manipulating the Turkish economy. Mm. Now, as I said before, when you look at Turkish exports, where are Turkish exports going? Right? Turkish exports are going to Germany, mm. the United States, and the rest of Europe mostly. Mm. Right? More than 50% of Turkish exports. So if, if the West was manipulating the Turkish economy, would they be Taking, I mean, by contrast, look how much Turkey sends to, let's say, China, mm. right? Mm. Not much. It imposed a great deal of China, like the rest of the world, but it exports very little because the Chinese don't want to buy anything from, from, from Turkey, effectively, That's right? right? Um, maybe, you know, certain, certain things that they can't get, maybe pistachios, uh, not pistachios, um, um, uh, the words are coming from, you know, basic agricultural goods. Now, but they have built essentially a rhetoric at home of blaming the West. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, and this is the thing that I to criticize the most in my article, is that the United States has made a mistake by allowing Erdogan and the rest of his government and the rest of his party, and his, and he also controls 80% of the press, 
to continuously attack the United States. Hmm. But you are a member of NATO. You are an ally of the United States. That's right. Erdogan, if he were to come to Washington tomorrow, he would probably make speeches here and say, oh, how wonderful Tur- the Turkish-American relationship is. So why are you saying this nonsense if you're at home? Hmm. And why is the United States not going and saying to him, look, you're, if you're an ally, if you, you can criticize us. We make mistakes. We criticize others. We criticize you. Mm. Criticize us for what we do. But don't don't say things like, we are undermining you, or you are trying to uh, teach us a lesson by winning the... If that's the case, then you're not an ally. Mm. Right? The important thing about this it has two consequences from my perspective, um, and that's why, in a way, I wrote the article. One is, when you look at the Turkish population, as well, and they, they, when they do surveys, 70% of the Turkish population says the United States is not the number one enemy of Turkey. Again, you know, this creates tensions. This creates problems for Americans who visit visit Turkey, right? You can, you can have problems. But secondly, by not, by not going after Erdogan for doing, saying all these things about us, we are basically showing that we are weak. Mm. That anybody, anybody can come and just kind of slap us and we're going to turn the other cheek. Mm. We are we are a flawed, a very flawed country, and we are—we have huge domestic uh, problems at the moment, as you can see um, uh, from from where you sit. But we are still the superpower. Mm. We are still the number one power in the world. Right? That's right. We are still the country that everybody depends on, and so if we don't stand up, then others whether in the Middle East or elsewhere, I will say, look, Erdogan can do all these things, so why can't I can do the same thing? Right? I mean, there's, there's somewhere you have to draw a line. That's right. Right? And and it looks to me that um, either the, the American officials, there are two explanations for why they don't, are not tougher. One is they don't read the Turkish press. Hmm. Right, so the State Department and and other institutions are doing a very poor job, or the or the stuff, or they read the stuff, and but the uh, but the policymakers are not looking at that. They're not. It's, uh, or two, they think that Turkey or Erdogan, you know, is a is a crazy guy. Let's let him mm. say whatever he wants. But that also means that you're not giving that much importance to your relationship with Turkey. Or I would argue that the relationship with Turkey is actually a very important relationship. Mm. And at this juncture in in the world, as we have we having this transition with China uh, um, trying to uh, make a claim, we're seeing industries moving out of China, going to Vietnam, going to India, going back. Turkey in many ways can benefit from it, and the Turkish economy can 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 do much better if European, American, and other capital were to start investing in Turkey to export to Europe. I mean, this this notion of called fence showing. Mm. 
but it won't happen unless a Erdogan fixes his economic policy, but also Erdogan creates an atmosphere of people that welcome. That's right, Professor. Again, as we mentioned in the intro, today, when we look at the power, again, it's not just the power under this leadership, but meanwhile, it's time that we can understand the integration between the power and diplomacy. Now, speaking of diplomacy, this is something that you wrote in the article, and I quote, To the United States, Turkey was never just another NATO ally. Turkey also provides platforms to project U.S. power across the Middle East, particularly in the aftermath of the first Gulf War. Turkey served as a bulk of stability in increasing fragile region. Again, Professor, based on what you wrote, 100% agree with you. But to the other hand, we know that Turkey is one of the critical players for NATO. And also, as we mentioned before, particularly we're looking at the war in Ukraine, every single nation matters within this NATO. But meanwhile, how do you think that U.S. should balance this relationship with Turkey at this moment? So in other words, I guess going back to the question, is it time that we need to treat it as a friendship, as a personal relationship, or is time that we need to keep this hot and cold or carrot and stick relationship with Turkey? Since we since we have someone as such as Erdogan, so unpre- so unpredictable, you know, again, we don't know uh, what's he going to say tomorrow to the U.S. or about the U.S. How do you think that we can really be careful with this relationship? Start with a friendship and then we move up? Or we can just maintain this diplomatic relationship and to see where the ball goes? Your thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, the first Gulf War took place in 1991. So Erdogan came to power 11, 12 years later. Uh, So there was a period uh, that where... um, Turkey was led by leaders who are friendlier to the United States. Mm. The truth is also at the first, let's say, six, seven years of uh, Erdogan's rule after 2023 uh, were actually years that he made an enormous effort to improve relations with the West in general, the United States and Europe, mm. in large measure. And we failed to understand, I mean, we understood it, but we didn't expect him to change. That is to say that he was doing this because he needed an insurance policy against the Turkish military that was the most powerful force in Turkey. And because the Turkish military had gone after his party, had gone after him, um, had intervened in politics many times. So he thought correctly that the Turkish military would not dare to intervene Mm. if he had a good relationship with Europe and the United States. What changed was in um, 2007, the Turkish military made a terrific mistake and they cornered themselves and he called their bluff and he went for national elections and he, the, the Turkish military basically lost because mm. Erdogan came back, Erdogan won the election 
and um, with a mandate. And then from that point onwards, you see that the Turkish military is no longer a powerful force. Mm. That meant the only constraint on Erdogan's power, because the, the Turkish opposition, unfortunately, is ineffective, the, the political opposition, the, the only constraint on him, the military, disappeared as a political actor. Mm. Therefore, he could do anything he wanted. Mm. And that's what happened. His policies changed, gradually changed, after that, right? you, when, you, when you track that, those policies, he became, um, you start to understand something. I mean, this is a characteristic of many populist authoritarian leaders, mm. whether it's Putin or Trump or Erdogan or um, AMLO in Mexico. And that is that they, they really, it comes a point where their policies for their countries is not really the country's policy, but their own preferences, their own vision, their own where they want to see themselves in in the world. Mm. So each of these each of these leaders, right? Um, I, I think we're seeing it with Rishi too. Although he's not a traditional populist authoritarian leader like the others, but um, but you know, all Trump thinks about is himself. Hmm. He's nothing about the United States. He, he, you know, he says those words that people supposedly believe, but the truth is, it's all about him. Hmm. The same thing is true for Erdogan too. He, Erdogan sees himself as a great world leader. He wants to be recognized by the rest of the world as a great leader. Hmm. Uh, he thinks that Turkey should be on the Security Council as a permanent member, because it's such an important country, an important civilization. Mm. But he really is him. And when you see the way the Turkish press that he controls, obviously, covers him, and the way he talks about goals for Turkey, it's not really about Turkey, it's about him. Mm. And when he and the, the, when he goes after the United States, and when he picks fights with the United States or the Europeans, right? Um, it's all about showing, look, how powerful I am, how uh, people have to deal with me, and so on and so forth. And because he's a bully, you don't have it, anything but a choice. I mean, Putin in many ways showed it to, to, to the rest of the world, but, you know, did he need to invade Ukraine? I mean, this it was his notion mm that Ukraine was always part of Russia, that Ukraine is not an independent country. The same way, by the way, the Turks think of the Kurds, right? That the Kurds are not an independent nation. Um, and so it's, was that in the best interest of, of Russia? No, but it was in the best interest of Ukraine, of, of Putin. Mm. So, so you have to look at the policies of these leaders a little bit from, the pers- from their own perspective, rather than saying, um, and you implied it in your question, actually, is it Turkey we're dealing with or is it Erdogan? Mm. And my argument is we're dealing with Erdogan. We're mm. not dealing with Turkey. Mm. Turkey and the United States have many differences. I, but every country has differences with, we have differences with Canada. Right? That's right. So that's, that's natural. But, um, 
the differences that we have with Turkey are different than the differences we have with Erdogan. That's what I'm trying to say. Even though Erdogan has by now succeeded in imposing his vision, his will on the rest of Turkey. So they, one can argue that there comes a point where Erdogan's vision becomes Turkey's vision because the opposition is powerless. There is no free press. You can't discuss ideas. The moment a journalist, etc., challenge his ideas, they end up in jail, mm. right? And so it's, it, Turkey is not a democracy in that sense, even though technically it has elections, etc. It is not a democratic country, mm. right? Um, so anybody can be charged at any point in time for make-believe um, crimes. And because the judges are all looking at the palace to see what the president wants them to do, they will go along with him. Mm. I mean, I look, I know lots of people in jail who have done absolutely nothing. And I'm not saying these people, because I know the ca- their cases. They make up things. Oh, I am under indictment in Turkey too, mm. because they claim, they claim that because I was in Turkey, I was running a conference in, in, uh, 90, in 2016, the night of the coup, the failed coup, that I organized the coup. Mm. They made that, they invented that, there's a, but you can't argue against it, right? Because they just make up hearts. Mm. So it's not a democracy. And Erdogan has, to a great extent, managed to impose his vision over the, the national interests of Turkey. Mm. And that's, that's very dangerous. I mean, we're seeing it with Putin. We're seeing it with um, Erdogan and a whole series of, of, of other, other leaders as well. I mean, Modi, Modi is another one in India. Of course, Professor, you actually indeed nail the, uh, I mean, hammer the nails on the head. When we are looking at political figures that it's one thing that you try to persuade and convince the citizens to understand your intention, but it's rather, again, as you mentioned before, it's dangerous. It's even threatening to impose the personal worldviews turn it into this political propaganda. Professor, stay with me. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, the next question I want to ask is, again, within your article, you mentioned a one sentence stood out in this way to say, Erdogan is most afraid of his own citizens. I mean, this is quite stunning because when we're looking at the geopolitical change, of course, that we can't expect everyone going to agree with the leader. They're going to be opposition. They're going to be protests and riots. And I mean, it happens everywhere, regardless if you live in this democratic system or authoritarian system or totalitarian, whatever you name it. But Professor, can you explain with us or better understanding help us then what does that mean that a person such as Erdogan is afraid of his own citizens? I mean, he won the election. I mean, right now he had the power. What, what, what are the fears? And why would you say that he's afraid of the citizens? What is the indication behind that? Well, the, the very simple indication is that you don't have a free press. You jail your opponents. You jail journalists. Right. Um, 
you don't let people criticize you, mm. right? And the way he runs even the Turkish parliament, basically he has the majority in the parliament and he everything he wants gets done, right? There's no real deal-making between the opposition and, um, and, and the ruling party, right? Uh, so why would you, if, if you were secure, why would you do this? There's also the fact that, look, in every country, it doesn't matter. If you really have a genuine democratic society, if a leader has been in power for 10 years, 15 years, there comes a point for change, though, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so um, I, I would say that um, under normal circumstances, you would like to see new leadership, mm. right? There is always that danger, but he's afraid of them. He is afraid of losing, right? And you saw you saw it in these elections. You saw it in in all types of contests in Turkey where he tries to manipulate the conditions. The the opposition got absolutely no hearing mm. in, on Turkish television, mm. on Turkish radio, on, on most of the newspapers. All they got was being criticized by by the government. Mm. The, 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 I, mean, I have to say the Turkish opposition leader who ran against him should not have been the candidate. He was terrible. He also is kind of in his own party a bit of an authoritarian. He doesn't want to give up uh, power. And you know, at some point, they're going to get rid of him. I don't know how the process will work. But um, but what I'm trying to say is um, he, he also also uses all the resources of the state for his own and his party's benefit. Hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so everything he does gets money. Every, the, what the opposition, what do they do? They run, they, they run some of the municipalities. He tries to essentially stop funding of those um, municipalities. Um, he wants to get back those municipalities, especially Istanbul, because it's the most important city, um, and so on and so on. So he, a, a leader who's not afraid of his, of his public and feels confident that what he's doing would not engage in such undemocratic practices. That's, that's, right. that's the, right? And the, the system is, you win, you lose. I mean, but you lose on the you know um, fair, on the fair comp competitive conditions. That's right. But that's not that's not the case in Turkey. Mm. I mean, here here is a situation where the Turkish economy it was really in the doldrums. It's still in the doldrums. You had inflation way above fifty percent. Right, with inflation at that level. He wins the election. I mean, that's a little bit unbelievable. Mm. It is indeed. I mean, again, 
when we look at Erdogan today, as you mentioned before, Professor, it's not just about he's using this political propaganda to brainwash the citizens, or should we say, to use his charm to distort this political rhetoric in order to secure the position. Now, I want to wrap up our conversation again, going back to the title of the article. Washington needs a new approach to Turkey's improviser-in-chief. Now, Professor, again, as you mentioned before, U.S. politics is standing at the crossroads. We are looking at this geopolitical field. We have candidates from both sides and also even from the third parties and coming out to challenge this 2024 presidential election or to say to be interested to becoming the, the next leader for the country. But when it comes to foreign policy, it still matters. Be honest. It still matters. So again, last question I want to wrap up, Professor, to you is, is it too late for U.S. to adjust the approach to deal with Erdogan? Is this still too late or we still have opportunities to deal with the person to understand the relationship? Your final thoughts. Well, look, I think Biden himself, as opposed to the rest of the bureaucracy, has done a fairly good job. I mean, Biden has kept um, Erdogan at bay. Mm. Erdogan is dying to be invited to the White House, and he has not been invited mm. to the White House. Right? And um, this is Biden's way of saying... I really don't approve of your domestic politics. I don't approve of the lack of democracy. And the, the way he also demonstrated it was he had two democracy summits, mind you, on Zoom, um, and he did not invite Erdogan. That's right. right. He did not invite, by the way, the Hungarian prime minister either. I mean, two NATO members. I mean, if that is not a slap in the face of both leaders saying you are NATO members but we don't consider you democratic enough mm. to invite you to a democracy summit when there were countries that were invited that were not really as that democratic either but you're going after two NATO countries so Biden has done I think a fairly good job I think it's the rest of the um, the bureaucracy the reason I, I distinguish between the two look Biden, as president of the United States and a global leader, can you imagine all the stuff he has to do on a daily basis? Mm. He doesn't have time to really say, oh, I'm going to come up with a strategy for Turkey or Hungary or, or X or Y or Z. I mean, he'll think about China, he'll think about India, he'll think about, obviously, Russia. But, but... He also has to go to Maui to see what happened in the disaster, right? That's so right. Um, the demands on, 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 a, on any president is, in, is enormous, right? So it's up to the bureaucracy to say, okay, we're going to come up with a strategy. So it's not, to answer your question, it's not too late. I mean, you can come up with a, with a strategy, right? I don't know why they don't do it. I think it's easier for them to ad-lib or to have this um, kind of uh, relationship that, change, that is maintained within certain 
constraints, but nothing good is going to come out of this. Hmm. My my worry is that um, tomorrow we're going to have a crisis, hmm. and it's going to blow up beyond anybody's imagination because we were not ready for it. Hmm. Because we had not... Um, let, let me give you an example. I talk about um, an event where the Turks bombed an Iraqi Kurdish town at the airport at Iraqi Kurdish town. At that, one of the people they don't like, who's an ally of the United States, a Syrian Kurdish leader happened to be there going through that airport. They deliberately missed hitting him to send us a message. Had they hit us, had they hit him, he would, they would also have killed American soldiers because he was escorted by American soldiers and officers. That's right. Right? Accidents happen. Mm. Right? A missile may be targeted somewhere, may end up somewhere else. We see it every day. That's right. right. Suppose, suppose that had happened. I mean, I mentioned it in the article without kind of elaborating it, just as a, as a message. But imagine if, if Americans had gotten killed. The reaction here of a NATO member knowingly hitting a target that would have killed American soldiers, the Turkish-American relationship would be done for. That's right. For at least for a few years. Hmm. Right? All I'm saying is because Erdogan thinks he can get away, he did the same thing when he bought S-400 missiles from Russians. Every member of the American government at the time, and before, for years told him not to do it. That if you do it, we're going to punish you because we don't have a choice. We cannot let you have Russian missiles while we're supplying you with the most advanced aircraft, the F-35, that we produce. Mm. Because the, the Russian missiles will get all, be able to get some of those secret information from those aircraft that are flying on Turkish soil, because there'll be Turkish Air Force flights. Erdogan thought, ah, you know, the Americans, they talk, they talk, they talk, eventually they always give in to me. Mm. This is the only time where our threats, even the Trump, even President Trump, who was very pro Erdogan, who couldn't, who doesn't care about democracy, who doesn't care about, uh, you know, he likes other leaders who are like Putin, like Xi, and uh, who are authoritarians, and Erdogan is one of them. Even Ad, even Trump had to give in to his own bureaucracy, Pentagon, and state that said, look, we cannot sell F-35s to Turkey because they bought the S-400s. Mm. And Erdogan was shocked. But I, I, I say that that's a very important example of Erdogan being taught a lesson mm. that he cannot take us for granted, and we should build on that. Mm. And then we won't agree with everything. But, you know, Erdogan and us won't agree with everything. That's okay. Mm. But they they will not bomb American allies, even if they don't like those American allies. They're not going to 
make these kinds of deals with the Russians, and tomorrow it may be somebody, somebody else, mm. right? It's not tomorrow; it might be China for all we know, mm. right? So, so they have to understand that there are certain limits. If you're part of an alliance, the alliance has a leader. Erdogan is not the leader of NATO; Biden is. Mm. And you may not like the idea that as a lead, the, the the military alliance as as an obvious leader, but we essentially pay for most of NATO, right? I That's mean, we right. contribute the greatest. So we have a say, and you have to take us seriously. You're not our equal. Mm. If you don't like it, get out of NATO. But as long as you remain in NATO. NATO is not a democratic organization, right? It is a military alliance, mm. and that military alliance depends on the United States, right? So use that, mm. but we don't. I mean, and that's that has been my problem all along. That's why, Professor. I mean, you said it again. It's not just about this readjusting the relationship from Washington. To Erdogan, but meanwhile, it's time that for everyone to understand, power is essential, but diplomacy is even more powerful. But the challenge is, how can we put those two together and make it more effective?